0: Welcome, everybody, to Economics Happy Hour. I'm Matt Roseau. And I'm Jadrian Wooten. And pleased to have you back. Our uh, first podcast that's dropping in 2023. Uh, Jadrian, it's uh, it's break time. What do you have for a drink today?
1: I have. I picked up uh, new drinks yesterday so that we could have something fresh and new. This is, I'll put it up at the screen. There we go. Uh, the, it's called the Chloe. A cranberry orange sour ale uh, from the Star Hill Brewery in Crozet, Virginia. So I tried to make sure I got something local. Uh, I guess I'm going to say local. It's in Virginia. Uh, So I got a Virginia beer, but something that is a little lighter and festive for for this break.
0: Yeah, there's no bigger contrast, I think, than we'll ever have for this week. So I'm actually (laughs) in my office, so it's not a beer today. Uh, It's not January yet when we're recording, but I am... Doing dry dry January, um, so mine is a diet twist up the Walmart version of okay. the um, Diet Seven Up, I guess. So,
1: then we're both we're both similar in the uh, in the citrus realm, I guess.
0: We're both citrusy. We're both citrusy, and I know we're not talking about inflation today, but compared to Diet Seven Up, well, I guess <laughs> I'm not sure about a difference on this, but the price is very different, which. Uh, being price sensitive and the amount of soda that I buy, I was like, okay, if I can save a little bit of money mm-hmm. uh, uh, because the price of soda has is on the upper end of price increases in the last two years or so.
1: I don't think I've noticed, mostly because I shop irregularly and especially when it, so I drink a lot of soda as well. Um, but when it comes to sodas, I tend to buy like a lot at once. Like I bulk buy Coke. Um, where I'm, I'm getting like four 12 packs. So it's lasting me like two months. And then I come back and I realize like, oh, I need to buy it again. And I forgot how much it cost before. So I don't know that I notice. So four, 12, soda side.
0: It's funny how, four 12 packs in our household where we have a bunch of Diet Coke drinkers. I literally don't know that that lasts us a week. I honestly don't know that four would be last us a week in our household. Uh, Do you like sour ales?
1: I've never had this so this is my first drink of this I don't know
0: i'm I'm more of an IPA person uh, this is really good bales i I don't mind a what's uh I don't mind a, an occasional sour so that's that's worth yeah. getting
1: this is worth getting so I had a I picked this up the other day um and it's a I try to get variety packs so that I could try different things and mostly I don't want to commit to six different beers especially if I don't like them. Uh, so I got this as a variety pack and it had a, I'm trying to think of what I had yesterday, a doppel, I think it was a doppelbach. Um, and then this is the sour ale and I don't remember what the other two are, but because I've never had
0: it, I figured I'd get it, but it's really good. Good. I'll, I will have to, I will add that to the list to try. So uh,
1: so Matt, I realized last time we did not tell people that you and I are heavy untapped users. So I feel like this is also a good opportunity uh, to share our untapped information. I have not been checking in these beers with you, but uh, I feel like on the day that we released the podcast, I feel like I should check it in. That's
0: the day to check it in. That, that makes sense. I can't check in a diet wise up. Um, no,
1: you can't. You'll have to go back and check in the old ones. So I will drop my uh, untapped handle in case anybody wants to follow me. It's Jadrian W. Uh, so Matt and I are both big untapped people. What's yours? That way people uh, I
0: think it's MROZU. I'm looking at it, and if you okay. if you type in MROUSU, and then you'll see a picture of Elmo <laughs> come up. And I, I do that because I think it's funny when I go to a place that's a registered untapped. Mm-hmm. Um, to you, you buy and you enter in a beer there, then Elmo shows up on the screen yeah. as the one who's drinking the beer. And I that's just I find that humorous. So.
1: So Matt and I are big Untapped users uh, because we like to track things and we like data. Um, and if you're a big data fan, uh, Untapped is definitely a fun app to wow. have. Uh, like, you, this is so strange. So I realize we haven't really talked about beer much. I figured it's it's worth spending a couple minutes since we said yeah. it's a, We also will talk about beer. Um, I don't like IPAs. I I really just generally. If I, like, if you gave me options, I'm going to pick something other than an IPA, but at the end of the year, untapped does their beer end review. Have you gotten to see yours yet?
0: I don't think I have. I'll have. Okay. To uh, so
1: I don't know if it's part of their, I I'm a premium. Maybe the subscriber.
0: bonus. Yeah. You, you are the premium subscriber. Yeah,
1: I, I'm a premium subscriber. So maybe it's just that I, I think they do it for everybody. Um, but my number one style every single year, at least for the past three years has been an IPA. So even though I don't like IPAs and I mentally tell myself I'm going to get something other than an
0: IPA. You always get the IPA. It's
1: always an IPA. And I think it's just because I do a lot of uh, flights. And so on the flights, like I don't have a lot of choices. There might be one lager, one, and I'm not getting a, a dark beer in the summer. Yeah. And then so I have to have like three IPAs. And so it just like wipes out all my other stuff.
0: Yeah. I, I, IPAs are, are my number one on there. Untapped, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, it's essentially gamifying drinking or drinking which which isn't an ideal thing um you know like you know the i'll enter it i'll tell people who don't know about it i'm like it's so stupid but you enter in you know you enter in a beer and then you get a badge (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) exciting the gamifying of uh of things and a couple other people every now and then i'll enter Mm -hmm. one and i don't think my friend has gone in on that day and oh it's it's world cup badge day so then i'll just text the photo of it i mean it's it is really pointless but it's cheap entertainment and we don't um you know it's it's interesting though like in terms of price discrimination right that's a good model for price discrimination i just have the basic you pay Mm -hmm. for the premium you get some extra things i don't they clearly take the data you know they they get advertising dollars as well so that's how they their revenue streams work
1: i have loved seeing how many more places like are you actually like untapped verified places? Like when I walk in and they have a TV screen with yeah, yeah. stuff, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to love this. Um, because I know it's actually easier for me to find. I know their beers will be there. I don't have to search weird names. Yeah. Um, I like it just from the information standpoint. Like I, so I'm a big user of Goodreads for books and untapped for beer. Mostly because like I, I use, like if I go travel, I use Yelp for everything. Like I, this is, a, I think I've heard this as a story before. People don't have bad experiences anymore. Um, it's like, it's kind of ruined the bad experience. Like Yelp has like, okay, uh, because most people will look it up and they'll skip over all the bad places. So you don't have that like cultural, like, oh, I went to this country or state and had a bad time. Um, but like, I really like using that information. Cause I'm like, okay, if I'm going to spend a day reading a book, I don't want to read a bad book um I, and i think like it's the old story with like movies where like you don't want to watch a bad movie so you'd see what roger
0: and ebert said yeah yeah um
1: i do the same thing with beers books uh, I mean, with movies
0: and books yeah i i understand i mean there'll be reviews however mm-hmm. people's tastes are so different on yeah. those and i i have my own like internal weighting system yes on that if um okay so if it's um a rom-com that's at 60 <laughs> percent my wife will probably like it. I might need yeah. to get to 80 to 90 before I think, oh, yeah, that was, mm-hmm. that was pretty good. Whereas if it's, um, you know, a Quentin Tarantino movie, pretty much any I'll like. But if it's, it's got to be in the 98 percentile for her to want to watch or something.
1: So what's funny is I think, so for Yelp, Goodreads, and Untapped, they all use a five-star system. But I look at the average ratings differently across them. Uh, So if you told me it was a three and a half star restaurant, I'd be like, "Ooh, is there a better place we can go?" But if it's a three and a half star beer, I'm like, "Ooh, that's probably going to be a pretty good beer." That could be good. Uh, If it's a three and a half star book, I'm like, "Oh my god, that's an awful book. What happened?" (laughs) Like, so if I see if I see a four star beer on Untapped, like I'll go through their menu on Untapped. If I see a four star one, I will get it because I'm like, man, in order for that many people. To right exactly, you said their preferences are so different. In order for more than half of the drinkers to say that yeah. this is a solid beer, I'm like, this has uh-huh. to be pretty good, yeah. Unless yeah. it's like a 12% imperial double black. Because well, those
0: are the only people like, who do that are those who are like, I want a 12% beer, and then they do like, yeah, it. those
1: I skip. I'm like, I'm not drinking yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> I want to yeah. be able to drive home.
0: I got a mad elf for a present mm-hmm. from a friend, and I was like, I, I, I might look for having somebody over to split it I'm like that's they uh, have a, uh,
1: there's a christmas bomb that i got a couple of years ago um that somebody got they're like 12 and 14 percent beers yeah, i'm like yeah. i split them i was like i can't drink i'm not drinking yeah. this by myself
0: yeah the 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 most i've had is the 100 dogfish head 120 minute ipa mm-hmm. i don't know if you've had that's like i've nine. heard of it
1: well i'll find i'll let you know hold on
0: while you're looking it's a dessert drink uh, i i like to think it's it's almost like a wine it's it's that thick but it's it's more alcohol than most wines.
1: I have not had the Dogfish 120. Thanks to Untapped, I can tell you that for sure. Yep.
0: Yep. Um <laughs> it is it, it's it's worth having, but I, you know, that as as I would say, that is a sipping drink. That is not a that is not according
1: a- to Untapped, it is an 18% ABV.
0: And yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You're yeah, so. yeah, it was. No, I mean I it's a four pack at our grocery store is $40. It's $10 a a beer, but you know, that's something that it's honestly nice to split with somebody because Mm -hmm. it's, and and splitting, it's plenty because it's 18% splitting. It's like, you're having a 9% beer. So, but that's nice. So we have a whole episode on beer. I think we need to eventually do that. Yeah, I agree. And (laughs) we could probably do that. But so today though, our uh, economics topic, we were going, we're, Planning to cover, and we're mentioning. Uh, it's funny how you were talking about three point five, uh, which is happens to be right, pretty much the yeah. might be the exact unemployment rate right now. I think it is. Uh, but our topic today is unemployment, and really the what is, what's the definition of a recession, mm-hmm. and are we in one? What is. Uh, I never thought the definition of a recession would be controversial. And then this year came or came around yeah. and said, yeah, yeah, of course it is. So, so we've
1: actually talked about all parts. You, we started with inflation, now we're moving on. We're going to hit all of them, right? We'll hit all, 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 all parts. Uh, okay. So definition of unemployment or of a recession. So here's, what's fun. And I think this is where, like you just said, this year is so different. And I don't think we ever would have really talked about it. Um, Th- there is no definition of a recession. We have like guidelines of what we tell students. I think the most common guideline that's taught like in a principles, a macro course, is we say generally there's a recession if there's two consecutive quarters of negative growth. So if the economy kind of condenses for sure. six months in a row, uh, that's a recession. That's like that's what we give as a definition. We say that's the definition, uh, except there's not a definition of a recession. And I think we actually first saw this during the pandemic. We had that little April recession, the little blip, but that wasn't two consecutive quarters. Uh, But the NBER said that's a recession. So I, I would say the technical definition is a recession is whatever the National Bureau of Economic Research says is a recession. Uh, yeah. which is generally two consecutive quarters of negative growth.
0: And this summer, there was all, there were all sorts of controversy over this because there were mm-hmm. two consecutive quarters of negative growth. And I, I went back to my old macro notes. I hadn't taught macro to since spring of 17 and saying, I'm pretty certain I would have said the two consecutive quarters in my mm-hmm. class. Uh, but when I looked it up, I mean... When I looked up what I had in my lecture notes, and then I, I pulled out a few textbooks to see what were people saying, and some of them did allude to the two quarters of negative mm-hmm. growth. A lot of them just say it's it's a prolonged downturn in economic yeah. activity. and that that's what I actually had in my notes. the
1: but what's we, but what's weird about that definition is that's not what the pandemic recession was, right? No, it wasn't no. a long term downtrend. It was like we had this like massive collapse. And then we started coming back.
0: A two month. That was probably a two to three month massive collapse, right? Uh, yeah. But how do you define prolonged? Since, well, in our lifetimes and further back, I don't know mm-hmm. how far far back. Perhaps throughout you know the past hundred years, if there's been two consecutive quarters of negative growth, it always has been classified a recession every time. Then there were the other ones that get worked in, like the downturn that we saw from just uh within with COVID in 2020 when, yeah. the, when the world shut down. But in 2022, it's it's a different animal, right? We had two quarters of negative growth, but there was hesitancy to to label it as a recession um, or to to think we're in a recession largely because it's a big disconnect the unemployment rate usually increases when the GDP decreases and we haven't seen it this time
1: yeah and I think I'm yeah, this is always what's weird about teaching during the pandemic I told this to my students when it was happening is that like this is gonna radically change how we approach like every single thing and I remember just even being like it was it was at the end of April and I was teaching my labor economics course. And I was like, it's so weird to know that you're in the middle of a recession, but like, it's not defined as a recession. Like that was the first moment where like, I think for a lot of other things, like it was this slow gradual movement. You're like, I think we're in a recession. And then six months later, you're like, yeah, it's been two consecutive quarters of growth. It's a recession. And like, you know about it, kind of six months later, but like in April of 2020, like you knew immediately, you're like, this will be a recession. Uh, We were not gonna define it for another two months, but like we're in a recession, right? Huge, massive unemployment. We weren't producing anything. Uh, The economy, right, just shut down. And so it's really interesting. I gave an interview uh, about this like a month ago about like all these tech layoffs that were happening and kind of what this means for the broader economy. And what's weird is I think it's, this is one of those things where it's going to take a couple years out of the recession to really like recalibrate the economy. Where when you look at the 2008 recession, it took like, I think, if I remember correctly, it took like seven or eight years for the employment ratio to like go back up to its normal level. Like this could be that same thing where like, it's going to take years to kind of figure it out and we're going to get these weird blips. So yeah, yeah, we have lots of inflation, but super low unemployment. So like it's yeah. It's so not the way it's supposed to.
0: The 2008 was an interesting one. Um, like Obama took over, uh, and the unemployment rate. Like I mean, it's it's interesting to see right when he started, and then
1: mm-hmm.
0: by a lot of conventional metrics, I mean it was kept getting better, but it was still really high at that first yeah. election. So most of the time, when you have negative GDP growth. You see it in with manifest with higher unemployment rates. Mm-hmm. So this time, I don't know if this should be defined as a recession, but I could actually make a good argument that we were, we had one in 2022. Mm-hmm. And the argument would be okay, so GDP fell. Normally you see higher unemployment rates. We didn't see that. However, real wages dropped. By about three mm-hmm. percent,
1: so
0: instead of a three percent spike in unemployment rates, uh, real wages, you know, w- nominal wages increased, but they didn't increase by as much as the inflation rate. So if you told everybody a year, you know, hey, everybody's on, the average worker's three percent poorer next year. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you, nobody's losing a job, but everybody is three percent poorer based on the wages. Sounds like a recession to me. It's a different way of thinking about it, but it does sound like a recession, but it's definitely yeah. not the way I've ever taught it because it's always been associated with the unemployment rate.
1: So I think what's always so weird about, and this I think is true about macro in general, where is, so yes, 2022 was a rough year financially for people um, in terms of just like infl- like the inflation level over 2020. And I think what's weird about it and what's always been weird about macro to me is that we are so focused on, I mean, I actually, we probably should like formally define like GDP, GDP growth. Like we're saying these things, but not, not talking about it. So probably. GDP is how much a country is producing. Like it's the yep. stuff and the things that they're doing. Uh, so services and, uh, and services every legal. Yeah. Like how much markets. a country produces. Yep. Yeah. And so a recession generally is like the stuff you produce is now you're producing less stuff. Um, But what's always been so strange to me is that we do look at it like on a quarter by quarter basis, year by year basis. And it's like, if you have really good years, like really good years in terms of earnings, bonuses and stuff, and then you have a bad year, like on average, you're fine. So I'm, I'm always really bad about like, the the troughs and the peaks where like, as a micro economist, I'm like, oh, well, like over a five year period, we're fine. We've grown, like we've had a little dip. And but like people, as soon as there's any dip, people start to kind of freak out, like, right, the stocks are going crazy. We have massive inflation. And I'm like, yeah, but like, savings were massive in 2020. Like, if you look at the personal savings rate, just massive spikes, but now it's like way back down. And so I always, I struggle as a micro economist of like, recognizing that a recession is is bad people are losing their jobs inflation is going up people aren't making as much money as they did the previous year but i i always struggle with the idea that like it ignores the year before that when things were really good so like right like that's my that's my struggle as a microeconomist.
0: um i don't know that i've thought about it that way Uh, things generally keep getting better though right and you're out right i mean the the amount, right, real wages dropped this past year for average workers, certainly way better than, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. I mean, when yeah. standards of living have gone up. So it, I think about it like investing. Like when we tell people about like investing
1: your money, watching the stock, stock market, we don't say like, right, if there's a dip or like it's a it's a long run, right? It's I think the phrase is time in the market. Not timing the market,
0: sure, sure, sure. Uh, But
1: like we don't do that with things like unemployment rates, wages. Like we're so like, what's happening this quarter? So I don't know. It's I think that's where my struggle comes in.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, timing the like if you're investing, right, it's a person, and there should be a long time horizon. Well, I mean, if you're as as an
1: individual, right, I got a, I got a long. I hope I have a long time. That long
0: time horizons, right? And (laughs) as you have a shorter time horizon, you should be moving to somewhat less volatile. Less volatile asset classes, but you know, if somebody's losing their job or they're they have lower wages, and not everybody is in you know fortunate enough position where they really are saving and they have they have Mm -hmm. those savings. I would say fortunate enough, or I mean, some of it's fortunate enough, some of it's, I mean, responsible enough, right? I mean, there's some that you could say, okay, you you really, you really didn't have the ability to to save to prepare for this, and others certainly did, and they bought you know expensive stuff and mm-hmm. more dinners out and they didn't save anything and then it's it it does get you know the end result for either of those parties is things are things get quite difficult though
1: you know i was thinking about that with the with like all the gas stuff that happened last summer where gas prices were like creeping way up like i think it got i don't even remember what the average was like 450 or something four six i mean it was high
0: yeah 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 it it it, it, it approached five in pennsylvania yeah
1: and so I was sitting there going like, this this stinks, right? Like I, it's, I, I struggle because like I recognize how important that is for some individuals, but I was looking at it going, okay, I'm just not going to drive as much, right? Like I was sitting there going like, how can I combine trips? How can I cut out some of the travel? Do I need to go to the grocery store multiple times? And so like, I've always really struggled because like, I've been very fortunate that like, it's not as important. I drive a... I've, I've had the same car for a decade, it gets 30 miles of the gallon, like, I don't notice gas prices, because I don't, fi- I don't fill up every week, I kind of what we're saying about the sodas, right? Like, I don't, I'm not regularly purchasing those things. So I don't see it. But at the same time, like, I know that it's real, and that it's affecting people. Um, and so like, that's always really that it's, I've struggled with macroeconomics for that purpose, because I feel like it's a topic that I know matters but I don't personally experience. So it's hard to it's hard to really teach it like empathetically, I think.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, it's combining everything. I mean, that's part of the joy of macro, right? You're combining, mm-hmm. you're losing, you're able to say things about a, a broad group, you know, an entire nation. Mm-hmm. But of course you're lacking the specificity. Some people do great in recessions and other people- yeah um horribly horribly life-altering uh the gas prices is probably interesting we could get down a rabbit hole going through that and the impact on the economy but i mean you know i think if you're if you have a commute that you have to do regularly i think you're you're probably stuck Mm -hmm. a little bit more and that's just then gas prices will either really help or really harm depending which direction it's moving i would i would i mean if you have a 30 mile each way commute and gas prices go from 250 to $5, okay, 5 bucks a day, it's an extra 100 bucks a week basically if you mm-hmm. if you have to commute every day. Uh or I'm sorry, $100 a month. Not trivial. Um yeah. I mean that has to get cut from elsewhere. So so do you I mean, you saw the stuff, 2022, um am I safe to say you'd be in the camp no, this wasn't a recession.
1: I'm going to say no. Uh, I I don't think it was a recession. No. Do I have do I have a good reason why I say that? I, I don't necessarily. Well, I mean,
0: unemployment I rates are low, right? That's a right. good re- that's a good reason, I think. So,
1: um, yeah. So here's where it gets
0: weird. I think. Right.
1: So okay. So for the federal, so those of you who are not macro people at all, uh, the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate, and this is where it gets super weird for economists. So the Federal Reserve's main goal, they have two things that they care about. Almost everybody knows. I think. One of them is on the money side, but like formally it's to maintain stable prices to have some sort of not zero inflation. Some inflation is good, uh, but maintaining stable prices. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is they're the second charge that they have is um, keeping people employed. So they're trying to keep low unemployment rates and low inflation rates, uh, not zero of both. Um, but those two things normally are challenging to balance. Yeah. and we'll talk about that kind of later as a, as a separate paper. Um, but there is kind of this trade-off and I think we're I think during the beginning of the pandemic we really saw this trade-off, where we saw this kind of like collapse of the economy, where tons of people are losing their jobs, but all of a sudden prices are really low. Because places are just trying to get rid of stuff. They're like, we got to sell this. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like, I think gas prices were like that. I think during the gas pandemic. Prices, gas,
0: oh, yeah. They tanked. They were like
1: $1.80 were or something. Yeah.
0: People weren't driving.
1: I think I remember like flights like going down, like places like Delta was offering like $60 round trip flights, right? So you had like super low prices, but you had lots of people unemployed. And then as the economy is coming back, you're putting more people back into the economy. People are getting jobs. They have money. And then all of a sudden prices are going up. And so the Fed has this like challenge of these two things. And so I think when you say that there is a recession, you're focused more on the dual mandate side of prices. I look at it more on the side of the unemployment side and I'm like, it's hard to say that there's an inflation when you have this many people um, employed regularly. Like, will that change over the next year? Maybe. Um, But I'm going to say no. Mostly because I think in high inflation is making up for the low prices we saw during the
0: pandemic. Yeah, I mean, the low, but the inflation, we didn't see deflip. I mean, there, there might have yeah. been a tiny blip of deflation. But let's say, fictional world, next year, still 3.5% unemployment, but real wages dropped 20%. Are we in a recession? I would... Inflation is inflation is, let's say inflation's 10% and wages are cut by 10%. Um I I tend to think we were. I mean, in in some ways yeah. the definitions don't matter, but it's fun to argue about. I do tend yeah. to think it was a recession uh that we were in because three percent is not trivial, I think. Right. Kind of it's not 20% what I just gave, but I think mm-hmm. there's some number where you'd say, Man, if if wages dropped, like if that's just what happened, then everybody's still working, but everybody's making 20% less, I would think it's absolutely 100% clear.
1: Well, so here's where it gets, I think, really, really interesting. And I think it's, we're getting to the point where we need to start thinking about, and I think actually, maybe this is the year that we start thinking differently about how we measure things like this. Um, but at some point, GDP is going to be a really dumb measure of how well an economy is doing. Um, I think it made sense in the 30s and 40s, like when they first started to kind of really calculate these things. Um but we're getting close to the point where we're not like replacing, we're like that right at the child replacement level where we're not gonna have as many kids as there are people. Um, and so at some in some senses, an economy is gonna shrink if we don't have the people to produce things or to produce things for. Um, and so, right, like you can get into like GDP per person. Is that the measure? Is that the one that we want? Um, but there's so many like flaws with GDP as a measure of like, Hap- i'm gonna say happiness because like i think that's usually the one that they give um of just but like well-being you know is gdp the best measure of how strong a country
0: is yeah. in terms of well-being and i i don't I, know that it is i want to have a, i think we need a full episode on that okay I, I would so you're gonna say yes it's gdp that.
1: nothing else matters
0: uh no i'll talk about oh. i'm guessing we're gonna have different flaws that we point
1: out oh okay so like maybe this maybe this should be the next one right is uh yeah,
0: yeah. um but but I, think, but, but I think this gets real wages argument. though, like so a recession, I mean, it is, it's output in the economy. Mm-hmm. You could argue that that's wrong. And it's traditionally been associated with unemployment rates. But yeah. you could easily have had, you could have a government system that says, no, when you're unemployed, we're actually going to give you just this other job, but we're just going to lower everybody's wage by an equivalent amount.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to me, that would have been you're in a recession. Uh, it'd be a very Very bad way for a government to handle it too, because the incentives wouldn't be there to correct. But
1: yeah, so I'm going to say no, no recession. Was it a very hard time? Absolutely. I think inflation just rocked a lot of people. Um, but I don't necessarily think it is widespread enough to be considered a recession across the entire economy. Um, I think it's hitting pockets, and I think definitely there are pockets. That it feels like a recession but i think for the whole economy no
0: it's fair although i would argue like when unemployment rate goes from three and a half to six and a half i mean it's not affecting everybody it's only affecting it's it's only affecting you know the the pockets but uh but i mean i i recognize like the way i'm arguing is not ever really been a way people have argued i mean the gdp Mm -hmm. thing yes but not the real wage argument so i know that the but but um but it'll be different, and who knows what's actually going to happen next year, right? You mentioned the dual mandate of the Federal Reserve, and now uh, might be a decent time to talk about uh, the paper we were going to talk about, which is a very old paper, and relates to this dual mandate. Uh, the, the paper title, we'll uh, put a link. It's long, right? These are the old papers. Yeah. The relation between unemployment and the rate of change of money wage rates in the United Kingdom. 1861 to 1957. Um, I know you like to read, Jadrian. This sounds like a page-turner. So, Uh,
1: (laughs) You know, I I will admit, uh, I did say that I'm a a microeconomist. I have not, I've never formally read uh, Phillips, the Phillips Curve
0: paper. And yeah, the paper's A.W. Phillips, and I don't, I don't know that I couldn't have told you the title of this paper uh, until just reading it now. Uh, But this is the Phillips Curve, Mm -hmm. which, you know, shows uh illustrates makes the case that there is an inverse relationship between unemployment and inflation Mm -hmm. what's your what's your thoughts on the phillips curve i think Uh, it's it's, i think it's dumb um so,
1: so i think the phillips curve when it came out in the and i think this goes back right like i think this was appropriate before i think the economy was set up in such a way that this relationship made sense. We were such a much more heavily manufacturing. Um, I will throw in my random aside that I tell my students all the time. The U.S. economy has never been a majority manufacturing employment economy. Um, But, you know, 1950s, like we definitely had more people in manufacturing than we ever did before. Um, Manufacturing tends, especially then, tends to be a big chunk of GDP. There's a lot of services that don't get counted. Um... And so I think it made sense in the 1950s. I think our economy is vastly different today in terms of just even just things like financial sectors, uh, the growth of technology companies, you know, like how do we value an app, uh, right? Like how is that being calculated in GDP? Like those sorts of things are so different that I think the Phillips curve is outdated and um, not very useful today. But I think it's a fun discussion to have. And I think again, it goes back. It, I think it affects pockets, but I don't think it's representative of a whole. Well, I, uh,
0: so I think long term, there's not relation, right? I'm I'm much more of a Milton Friedman, right? Inflation right. is the money supply. That is, mm-hmm. that's just what it is. The changes in the money supply are, are on um, inflation. And I think long term, there is not a relationship. I, I do buy into some of the arguments for why it could hold in the short run, mm-hmm. um, and you could I mean, you could imagine many the idea of sticky wages and individuals are um, you know, especially if you're saying dealing with a union contract mm-hmm. if you have a case where the money supply is going up, so there's a little bit of inflation, but people don't quite realize that these rates of inflation are happening. Uh, What you could indeed see is people accepting uh, lower real wages and the unemployment rate dropping. And who knows, maybe that's part of what we've seen today is that (laughs) there was a little bit more inflation than expected. And you're like, Oh wow, they're offering me $14 an hour when before it was, you know, 1250. This is an incredible deal. Whereas if you adjust for 9% inflation, it's probably about the same, but more people are jumping to work for 14 than 1250 as an example. And so, or and vice versa, if you have, I mean, you can imagine like union contracts negotiated in advance, if the inflation rate falls, but you have prices price increases baked in to the contract, all of a sudden the firm is going to be much less profitable. And firms that have these poor contracts are probably going to have to lay off some of the workforce, yeah. the frictions in the economy will increase the unemployment rate. So I, I can buy into why it will be there a little bit in the short term. Yeah. So and I don't know of a case I don't know of a case where we've had higher inflation rates and they have been brought under control quickly without unemployment going up. I'm not sure if that's happened before.
1: I'm not. A, this is where I would probably need to consult a macro historian, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and I think those are the sorts of things where like, I, I struggled to care about those things just because like, I'm, I'm not great at Mac. I'm not great at his, I like history uh, when it affects me and I can like, <laughs> kind of see, oh, that happened. And now this is why we have this, uh, you know, like what the inflation policies were of the 1980s. Like how did, how did the fed respond to stagflation? Um, I and I think even actually maybe maybe the 80s is a really good example where there's really high inflation and really high unemployment rates. It was mostly
0: where... the 70s. 70s. Okay, um, I thought yeah, it was the yeah, 80s for yeah. some. Late 70s. No, I mean it was started. I here, maybe look. It's how Jimmy Carter got elected. Basically, he was talking about the misery index. Okay. And, and you know, and that's how he he helped to get elected. What's combine the unemployment and the inflation rate and define this term, the misery index, and helped get Gerald Ford out of office. But ge- as a as a general politician rule, if you're gonna create a new term called the misery <laughs> index, it better not go up when it's your when you're up for what re-election. Your uh, so but the, is... the early
1: eighties had issues too, right? But that was that the oil embargoes?
0: Well, the early eighties, I mean, Carter was in until eighty. Reagan came in. Um the Fed policy really to tighten money happened then. So you saw a big okay. unemployment spike. And inflation got kind of brought under control. And really, inflation had not been a problem since the early, basically in the 80s. Inflation rate has almost dropped steadily for probably 40 straight years, essentially, Mm -hmm. since like 80, probably 82, 83 to, well, the past year or so. Um, But yeah, that, curbing that in the early 80s, there was a big, very severe, spike and that was Mm -hmm. early in Reagan's term um and but then um once I was under control the job market rebounded pretty quickly I I like micro more but I do enjoy some of this history stuff I was
1: born in 1986 so you'll forgive me for my my poor (laughs) education through the 70s and 80s but you know actually this is really interesting and I think this could be a We've Matt and I have slowly been like listing out the different topics we're going to talk about, and I know one of them that you have scheduled that's really interesting is like things that we're teaching that we shouldn't be, things that we maybe need to teach differently. I think the Phillips curve might get thrown on that list of like things we're teaching, but like, do we even believe it? Um, have you ever read the book Lies My Teacher Told Me or Lies have, My History Teacher? I don't told think me? I have.
0: Is that worth the um, read?
1: It is, yeah, it's fascinating. I think you would really like it. It's yeah. Lies My Teacher Told Me. Uh, everything your American history textbooks got wrong. Okay. Uh, so a guy, he, he goes through old high school history textbooks and just basically finds like all these things that we've been telling kids about history that like it's not even like true. It's like it doesn't even match up with like historical documents. So like one of the big ones is uh, this idea of like Columbus Crossing, um, he goes through, like, all these history textbooks. This is the one that st- stood out a lot. Um, Columbus Crossing, that, like, the weather was terrible. His crew was going to mutiny him. Uh, nobody believed in him. Like, all these, like, s- like, these stories of, like, how great he was. And they actually, like, went back to the diaries of, like, from the people on that trip, and they're like, no, it was smooth sailing the entire time. <laughs> like, there was no... It's just like, and then he's like detailing these like blatant lies where like, we have journals from the people on the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, it's fine. Um, I want to do like an econ version of this, right? Like lies my econ history, my econ professor has told me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe the no. Phillips curve is on there. I don't think, I don't think it is. I think, I think it's got to there's some appropriate caution mm-hmm. to be yeah. done on that. But I think if you um, loosen up the money supply, there's going to be some, or tighten it significantly you're going to have well money illusion Mm -hmm. and that could um in that should in theory either lower or increase unemployment rates so i think it's a very much a short-term relationship yeah um and i'm not certain i might agree it shouldn't be thought of as much to um i I don't know that it should be policy considerations i'm not certain Mm -hmm. on that But I do think thinking about it and understanding what will happen, I think getting inflation under control is important. I would not, I can't fathom how we don't have a spike in unemployment to do it. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. That'd be awesome. Um, You know, I know they're trying to engineer with the soft landing.
1: Yeah, right. Like it's, that's the, each of these, these increases in the, in the Fed funds rate, right? Like at some point it's got to tamper down. Um, I... I don't know right I th- I think I might this might be shockingly uh market based of me. I think one way to fight inflation is let inflation happen. Like I think this goes back to what I said earlier where like I am clearly detached. I am not a representative person. But you know when prices are way higher people don't buy as much stuff and like that's what we need to do is stop buying as much stuff. But if you
0: know, more money is just printed then people. Oh no, no,
1: I'm no, I'm not even saying more print more money. Not, not even not enter more digits, right? I I don't know that it wouldn't just naturally correct itself.
0: I think there's enough history of like countries that have had hyperinflation that, and that's where I think it's all on the money supply. Where
1: well, yeah, that's what, so. I'm saying I don't think the Fed should intervene at all. Um, yeah. We're like try I, to keep I think the just money let supply it supply
0: and check, and then let naturally everything work out.
1: But at the the same time, I'm not a macroeconomist. so I'm gonna I'm gonna put that star by every statement I say.
0: I'm not either. Um, I mean, we you know, you know, every going through grad school, we all um, Mm -hmm. you know, you get some micro, some macro, and teach generally teach a little bit of everything. But both of our research areas are way more micro based. I think microeconomics is way more fun. Um, Yeah, I think it's just so much. So many more interesting topics to cover in micro. But.
1: You know, I always said that one of the problems with economics uh, is that the teaching of principles of macroeconomics is just so, I don't want to say, am not miserable, sad. Like, I, I I don't know the best way to say it. Like framing, I think principles of macro could be reframed and probably would get way more people excited about it. I think people take a principles of ma- micro course and they're like this is kind of cool. It's behavioral. How do we change things? There's some policy debates that are kind of interesting, but when you take a principles, of macro course, I feel like almost all of it is about recessions, which are bad things, inflation, which is bad things, unemployment, which is bad things. Um, it, it, I feel like the focus is always on these things that are harmful to people. And I feel like it's a, a drag and people are like, well, this yeah, is kind of sad. I don't want to take could this. It
0: be. Um, I think Every macro, and I know I do this now. I didn't do it at first. Needs to have a heavy, heavy dose of economic growth, which is definitely mm-hmm. not sad. It needs yes. to be telling the story of how in the world was ev- essentially every human being stunningly poor. Yes, everybody. We were all, you know, we were all, and and it's not the case anymore. And mm-hmm. to me, that's um, and that's really exciting and fun, yes. and optimistic. But that's
1: at the end of the course. Right, you go yeah. through all of the sad things, and then you're like, "Here's some hope for macro." Why shouldn't that
0: be in the beginning? That's a good question. Um, you know, they, because why couldn't economic growth be first?
1: Yeah, so I, that's I, growth. I think is the one. Ex- you're definitely right. I think it's the one exception. But I think even when we talk about like fiscal policy, monetary policy, I feel like all of the talk of a uh, fiscal policy is like, "Look how much the government spends, and look at all this debt, and we're gonna go broke." Like. It's never it's never like here's some good examples of where we spend money. It's yeah. always like we spend too much. Um, we're gonna be in debt and we're it's gonna collapse. It down,
0: so. <laughs> like, so the fill philo- I mean unemployment and inflation with the fill, philo- any um, other than thinking should be taught. <laughs> any closing thoughts on that before we get to our pop culture references?
1: No, I'll just go straight into the pop culture part, even though it's like I'm gonna say this is this is pop culture for economists, I think is the best way to describe okay. this. I think it's popped. It was super. soup. I remember when it came out, I thought it was the funniest paper ever. Um, and even just like, I, I hope that we can put the image maybe right here uh, yeah, sure. when it pops up. There was a paper that came out uh, in the mid 2000s uh, by Gregor Smith called Japan's Phillip Cur- Phillips Curve Looks Like Japan. Uh, and they had gone through and got um, unemployment rates and insurance unemployment rates and inflation rates uh, for like every month in Japan and like plotted it on a scatter plot. And like, it looks like Japan, like you can lay Japan over the top of it. Uh, So that's my pop culture. one. I think that got passed around among econ circles for like years. And I think there's I think Argentina might be the same. There's like another country that is also like has this same weird relationship. Uh, So I'm going to say it's a pop culture reference, but it's only popular among economists.
0: No, the um, one I'll have dealing with unemployment um, from the musical Hamilton. So there's the song, um, song Right Hand Man from Hamilton. And George Washington is trying to, is talking to Alexander Hamilton about joining in and is questioning. Hamilton's not working at the moment. And um, I believe it's Henry Knox and Nathaniel Green, which names we know, have tried to get Hamilton to work for him, to work for them on um, presumably very important tasks. Hamilton said, No, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. My I I have other things I should be doing. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stay unemployed until the right opportunity comes up, mm-hmm. which is uh opportunity to work with george washington so i think that's a, a really good example of of frictional unemployment mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, often you know in principles of macro you'd sort unemployment into their sort you three general categories structural unemployment um so individuals simply just don't have the the skills to match the jobs that are available so if there's some big technology boom if um if robots start driving trucks, right? We're going to have an industry of, um, drivers. That's okay. Those individuals will need to find something else skills to drive. I cannot fathom driving a semi in New York city. That is such a skill and just the patience to be able to do it. Like that's an amazing skill. I have so much respect for people who do that. Um, but you know, if that becomes autumn, you know, automated, Right. There's new skills will have to be developed and that's happened throughout history. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's structural unemployment. Cyclical unemployment is unemployment that happens because of the cycles in the economy. So we just go through a a if we have a recession and lots of people lose their jobs. People have skills for jobs that are available. But right now there's a little bit of a mismatch. But frictional unemployment um, in some ways is the healthy one because Mm -hmm. there's frictions that are natural to finding a job or finding the right job. And so if a college student first goes on the job market, but they don't have a job yet, or a college graduate, right, that's frictionally unemployed, somebody's changing jobs. And Hamilton was frictionally unemployed Mm -hmm. in this example. So uh, we can put a link to the song if you don't know it in the description. Absolutely. Uh, Any uh, any closing words of wisdom? Did you make it through your
1: I didn't see you drink at all. I think in this episode, oh, I grabbed several. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: It's pretty much gone. Uh, so
1: mine's almost gone too, which means it was very good. So I was we'll, to uh,
0: we'll post the update Um, when this, when this drops on how, um, my dry January, I should even, uh-huh. maybe I'll try to post a weight loss counter as well. Just, uh, <laughs> How much IPAs are not low-calorie beers? <laughs> mentioned my favorite beers. Uh, it's not uh, low-calorie.
1: Sa- I think the sours really help. Uh, but it, hey, if there are topics that listeners want to hear about, like if there's, t- you know, if there's a, a model or a curve, and you're like, man, I really sure. didn't understand the prisoner's dilemma, and you know, let us know. Uh, you can leave comments on the Substack. You can email either of us. Um, we are happy to take your recommendations on things to talk about. Matt and I can talk hours. So we have no problem talking.
0: Yes. And we did get, I got a nice note with several, we've, we've gotten an email or two with some several options. So appreciate those who have reached out already. Yes. And well, thank you everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll see you in another couple of weeks for the next economics happy hour. All right. Cheers, Matt. Cheers.